It's great to be able to worship together, to sing those songs, and to continue now as we get into God's Word today. You guys ready to go into God's Word? All right, we're here to root our lives to build on that foundation. So we're gonna study God's word this morning. We're gonna be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, continuing on in the series we're in, Summer on the Mountain. If you're joining us online or listening later on in the week, it's always great to have you be a part of what God is doing, and I hope God's word takes a root in, in all of our lives as we talk about this amazing sermon that Jesus taught. Well, have you guys been watching the Olympics? <laughs> Only had a day or so. I know it's not quite the same without the fans. You guys feeling that a little bit, a little different this year? But, but it, there's something powerful about watching the nations come together and even to pull off these amazing feats of just, uh, just athleticism that we see and artistry all, all around. And, and uh, as we were watching the opening ceremonies, again, it was different without people in the stands, but, but uh, my wife Shannon made, a, I think, a really neat observation, too, that moved her in, in saying that God must be smiling looking down upon an opening ceremonies. As he sees his children from all different walks of life coming together, using the gifts God's given them, perfecting them, putting everything they have into that, and then coming together just to play to have fun, to compete, and to, to give everything they have. And what a great picture, too, of, of the world that we have and those moments that we can celebrate. So I encourage you, cheer for Team USA and for, for all the athletes and, and what God is doing through even something like the Olympics to give us a picture of what could be. But as we watch the Olympics, what I find interesting is uh, to compete at that level, uh, there has to be all kinds of rules and, and guidance and, and ways in which you know, the athletes compete. And every sport, every discipline, no matter what it is, has some kind of rule book, right? Some kind of guidelines. And in order to enforce that and to make sure that's all happening, there's always a judge or a referee or an umpire, right? And then in some, other, in some of the sports too, like gymnastics or last night there was some skating on, on like skateboarding that was, that, that was happening, and after they do a, you know, one of their routines or they do a stunt, then they wait. And now they wait to see, and every last little thing is scrutinized. How did, you know, on the skate, you know, with the skating going on, how did the board flip? Did they land it just right? Did they make the right numbers of rotations? Was it artistic enough? And, and, and you know, how did they keep their balance, right? And then they, they, they wait, and there's that anxious moment of what's the score going to be? And then comes the score, and right, and either it's like elation, like yes, it was awesome, we nailed it, or like oh, that's not fair, and and like their their life and their performance is evaluated by what these judges come and what they what they tell them about themselves, and so that's how they then find and determine right the, the ranking order, who's first, who's second, who's third, and and on down the line, and sometimes it's just a fraction of a second, a millimeter that that can determine the difference between a medal or a place in standing. And as we think about that and, and we think about the judges, today we're gonna actually talk about what does it mean to judge others? What does it mean to judge others? Imagine if our life was like the Olympics and every moment, every second, every last little thing we did was evaluated by somebody else. How does that feel? Sometimes that's how we live life though, right? That's sometimes how we go through this world and other people feels like they're judging us and they're making decisions on us. So they tell us what they think our life should be and how it should go and what we should do, right? And, and, and so we're gonna look at this passage in, in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is probably one of the most well-known quoted scriptures by people who don't know anything about the Bible or God or don't know a whole lot. It's maybe their favorite verse that we hear. You know what it is? Don't judge others lest you be judged. Right? Don't judge others or you're gonna be judged. And so maybe sometimes the, you know, what, what, what the question is and what people ask is they, you know, as you say something or if any comment is made, is like, don't judge me. <laughs> Who are you to judge me? Who made you boss? Who made you judge and jury? Let me do what I want. Let me live my life how I wanna live it. 
And so it's like this license to say, I can do whatever I want. Everyone can do whatever we want. We can all do whatever we want. That's, that's what Jesus said. It's in the Bible. Don't judge others. Is that what Jesus said? I mean, he did say it. So we're gonna have to dig into this a little bit deeper. We're gonna look at that a little closer because here's the reality. I think we all have a bit of a judging problem. I, well, I won't put it on all of us. I'll say I have a bit of a judging problem. I think as a human being, I, I, no, that, that's making an excuse. <laughs> I'm making an excuse. I, I secretly judge people. I, I'm not proud to admit it, but like, you know, when you're driving on the road, do you know that, well, first of all, do you know that I'm the world's best driver? <laughs> I'm the best driver, and I can point out to you all day long as I'm driving why that guy is an idiot, why that person should never have gotten their license, right? And, 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 and it's, it's irritating. And I don't know if you guys know this either, but um, Shannon and I are the world's best parents. And so we know how faulty other parents are in the way they're raising their kids all the time. Like if they would just do it differently and better, maybe they would do all right. We are also, well, we think we're pretty decent money managers. We're pretty good, but we're better than a lot of people with money. And when I see how they spend money and what they do, I could tell you way better how someone else should spend their money and what they should do with their things, right? And so those are the secret things. Those are the internal private thoughts that go on. Anyone else relate to that? Or am I the only one, <laughs> right? We all kind of think, and we see these other things, we look at other people and you go, what's going on here? Do you know that we have an incredible capability to judge people very fast, very quickly? You've heard of the phrase, right? You don't get a second chance to make a good first impression. You know why that's a saying? Because it's true. <laughs> because it's true, you get one chance to make a first impression. And there's been studies that have been done as to how quickly people judge other people. And, and study after study will show you that anywhere from as long as, as long as 30 seconds, we form all kinds of opinions. There's actually a 7-11 rule that is within seven seconds, we form 11 opinions about people, everything from their, their economic, to their religion, to their political affiliation, to whether we think, you know, um, you know, whether they're trustworthy or not. And actually a Princeton University study said that within one-tenth of a second, what are they saying, within one-tenth of a segment, second, we make judgments about the attractiveness, likability, trustworthiness, competence, and aggressiveness of other people. One-tenth of a second, boom. You see somebody, boom. Brrr. I know exactly everything about that person, we think. And that's just the first impression. We are judgy people. We're judgy people. We, we like to make those kind of assessments as we, as we look at people and think about, wow, what, what's their life like? What, what are they doing? But those are like the secret kind of internal things. But, but in our nation today, I think we don't only have a, a pandemic of health issues, we have an epidemic of judgmentalism. An epidemic of judgmentalism, right? Everywhere we go, we, we categorize people so quickly, us and them, good and bad. And we love to just think, we see somebody, we know their positions, we know their stances, and we come out strong, we come out hard, and we just like to, to leverage it and, and, and divide people in that way. That, that Dr. Fauci, he's a joke. You're anti-science. White evangelicals are homophobic. We should support the LGBTQ plus cause. We should this and that and Black Lives Matter and if you're a Republican and if you're this, and we put it in these categories and say, we've made a judgment. 
Somebody wears a certain shirt, wears a certain color, wears a certain label. You know everything else about that person, right? Because of that one thing. And we think we do. We think we're intuitive. We think we're discerning. We think we know these things. But in the reality, do we? But how quickly do we judge? How quickly do we come across saying, I have it figured out? And if somebody's in a different position than we are, if they hold a different view, then you gotta come across it, you gotta fight it. And if you're not being heard, you know what the solution is? Say it louder. <laughs> By the way, can you hand me my water bottle real quick? Annika, do you mind bringing that up? If, if, if Kyle got to have Vanna bringing up the golden cob, then I get to have someone bring something up to me. Annika, give Annika a hand, my third <laughs> daughter. Thank you, Annika, well done. <laughs> You know, we say it louder. We just gotta be stronger with what we're saying because maybe you haven't heard it the first time. We have to say it more often. We have to get more extreme because I gotta convince you you're in the wrong, I'm in the right, and so I have, to, I have to figure that out and I have to make it work for you. What does Jesus mean? Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Does it mean we should universally accept everyone's opinion, everyone's view, everyone's cause, the views that everyone has? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to approach this? Can we form opinions? Can we, uh, you know, are we wrong to correct people? Well, let's look at what Jesus says, and we're gonna look at this passage in the Sermon on the Mount and, uh, and, and look at it in its context. Because as we step into this here in just a moment here in, in Matthew chapter seven, let's just review real quick where, where Jesus has, has come from as he, as he walked us through this, this sermon. The, the foundation is you're gonna live in a kingdom. He's ushering in the kingdom of God, a new kingdom, a new reality. And things in this kingdom work different than the kingdom of this world. And he taught us all kinds of different ways. And in the previous couple sections, you know, he talked about really this internal, this personal righteousness, about prayer and fasting and giving, about our resources, about anxiety, about worry, and, and how we should handle that and how we should grow our righteousness to really be rooted in him. And then we come to this passage now in, in, in chapter seven, and if you're sitting with Jesus on the mountain, you're hearing him teach all these ways in which we should approach our life and how we should approach our things and how we should approach God, there could be a, a chance that we start feeling like, okay, I think maybe I'm figuring this out or maybe I'm on the right path, but maybe that person isn't. And maybe you are. Maybe, maybe I think I'm a little bit better than somebody else. And, and that's when Jesus shifts now and he says, it's not just about what's going on inside of you. It's about how you relate with somebody else and about this, this righteousness that comes from relating to others. And so let's just listen again. We're on the mountainside. Jesus is teaching. These are the words he's saying, and so just take these in and listen to these. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. That last verse is a little interesting too. We're gonna look at that here a little bit later. But Matthew 7, 1, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Why does Jesus say this? <laughs> because he knows we judge people. <laughs> Jesus addressed what he knew would be a challenge for us. He's saying in the kingdom of God, you shouldn't judge others. Don't judge others or you're gonna be judged. But what did he mean by that? 
we're gonna unpack that, but, but think about the different ways we judge. I gave some examples. But when we think about the different ways that we judge, what we often do is we look at the worst in others. We judge people by their worst, typically. That's kind of our human nature. What's the worst that somebody did? We judge them by their faults, or we, say, we take those faults, and we, we basically say that's, that's probably indicative of the rest of their life. How would you like this? Think about the two or three worst moments in your life, either publicly known or not publicly known, the two or three worst things in your life. How would you like to be known and judged by those three things your whole life, that that defines you? that that's who you are, but that's often what we do. And we define and, and often judge people, again, in those worst moments. Ah, that was it, that's where we saw it. Or we judge people when we fail to think about how it would be like if we were in those circumstances. What might it be like? And so we're quick to make judgment. But what is, what is judgment? Well, judgment, if you think about a judge, if you think about laws where we have a, a role a, a, as a judge, judging is measuring somebody else against a standard. So in law, the law is the standard. This is what defines appropriate behavior and this is inappropriate behavior, punishable behavior. Somebody comes in and they're accused of a certain action and, and what they did and, and that it's not measuring up to the standard. So the judge makes the decision. Is that, you know, is that an offense? And what's the level of punishment? And listens and takes assessment into that. And in the end, might render the judgment, yes, you missed the mark, you failed what you were needed to, to do. Boom, gavel drops over verdict rendered. You are now a felon, or maybe it's a misdemeanor, or you're a criminal, or you have to pay restitution. And so when it comes to judging, is we hold people to a certain standard. And that's what we do when we judge people. We have a standard, we, we say, you know, did they measure up? Did they, we, we assess their actions, what they did, and, and often what we do is we hold them to our standard, right? We become sort of the plumb line that, that measures whether somebody's behavior is better or worse. We become that standard, but the problem with our standards and what I do in my life and what you do in your life is it's different from person to person so much of those things. Let me ask you the question, uh, who's tall? Who do you think is tall? <laughs> Depends how tall you are, right? There's nothing in the, in anywhere that says this is a tall person. What is tall? If you ask you know, a five-year-old, they're gonna think Simone Biles at four foot eight is a giant, right? If you ask an average NBA player with a height of six foot six inches tall, who's tall, they're gonna give you a different answer. So sometimes when we look at our own lives, we, uh, why do we do this? Where, where, where do we fall? Where do people fall in relation to our standard? Because it's always moving and, and it's shifting. And so how do we measure people? How do we do that and why do we do that? And I think we wanna do it because we wanna categorize people. We wanna know, is that person better than me? Is the, are they worse than me? And so we make our little judgments, good and bad, smart and not so smart, rich and poor. Trustworthy, not trustworthy. Likeable, not likable. Go on. I mean, that, that's how we do that, and we find our place. And we try to think this is, this is where we land, and this is who, who we are. And I think we do it because that gives us our sense of, of self-worth. We think that's how I, I know where I fit in. You've heard of uh, the pecking order, right? Everyone knows the pecking order? You've heard of the pecking order in our society, in our world? You know where that comes from? Chickens. <laughs> we learn from chickens. If you're on a farm, chickens, they peck at each other. You know, they're always pecking at each other. And why do they peck at each other? Because they wanna know what is their rank in, the, what's a herd of, is it a herd of chickens? I don't even know. 
A flock of, a flock of chickens, really? A flock, all right, thank you. They wanna know where they fit in the flock. And so, so they're pecking at each other, and, and what happens is the, which rooster is most dominant, which hen has the preference, and that pecking order, when they peck and somebody back, one of the other chickens backs off, that becomes their rank. That person moves up, they move down, and, or vice versa. And that determines who gets the, the best food, you know, who gets the best mate, who gets the best root, you know, root, roosting place, and all that kind of stuff, right? It determines that order. When we judge people, what are we doing? <laughs> we're, we're pecking, and we're trying to see, in our own minds, again, it may not be verbal, it may be internal, but where, where do I fit? And if we can walk away feeling a little bit better about ourselves, maybe, you know, or if we go, you know, what do we do when we compare to somebody who's, who, who we, we may judge to be in a better place than us? We quickly turn to, well, well at least I'm not as bad as. <laughs> right? We wanna know, we wanna fit in, and so judging becomes this challenge for us. It's more about ourselves, it's more about our self-worth. But does that mean we can't judge? I mean, can we really not judge? Should we just suspend judgment? I, I would put it this way. Don't judge, this is a lot of negatives, so try to follow this. Don't judge doesn't mean don't have good judgment. <laughs> don't judge, when Jesus says don't judge, doesn't mean don't have good judgment. Don't you know, assess things, don't look around, don't see what's going on around you. We should be discerning and wise, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But some level of judgment and assessment is needed for sure. Just a few verses later in Matthew chapter seven, verse 20, just in that same uh, chapter, Jesus says this, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. Well, doesn't that require some level of judgment, some kind of assessing? Jesus is saying, when you see what people do, you can get a sense for what's going on inside of them. And so, obviously, it can't be that we can't have any judgment, we can't, we can't evaluate situations around us, we can't have any opinions about things. So, so what's Jesus really getting at as we look at this section? And then that verse two, again, seven one says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Well, that's great, so don't judge and we'll never be judged. Well, there's the answer. But that contradicts scripture. If you think about, scripture does talk about there is going to be a judgment. God will judge. He is the righteous one. He is the holy one. He has standards and, and expectations. And so, so he, this surely can't mean like we can avoid God's judgment if we never judge anyone. So what's, what's going on here? Why, why is Jesus saying this? What does he mean? And so here's my stab at what I think Jesus means. I think he's talking more again about how we interact with other people. And how do we deal with other people when there's differences, when there's differences in views or understanding or even in differences in our faith and, when, and differences in when we see somebody is in sin or doing something that's wrong. And so what I wanna look at today, we're gonna look at three ways Jesus calls us to approach people who we're prone to judge. How does Jesus call us to approach people we're prone to judge? And I think this is how I understand these scriptures. The first is this, be gracious. When we're prone to judge, when we see somebody in a different position or don't disagree with what's going on, the first thing we have to remember is be gracious. Matthew 7, 2, Jesus said, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what is our standards when we judge people? And do you know what I think happens so much is we have very high standards of other people, but when it comes to us, we have excuses and reasons why we struggle or we may have fault in certain areas. But, but for other people, oh, that's a, that's a high standard, but for me, it's not fair if you judge me <laughs> according to, the, to, to those pieces, because you don't know my situation. You know, they're a bad parent, but I'm having a bad day, right? When you think about the, the meltdown at, a, at the grocery store, I cannot believe that, mom. 
Get a hold of your kid. I mean, this is embarrassing. How are you raising your children? What is it when you have your kid in the store? We've been there with our kids with the meltdown where you're kind of dragging them on one arm and you know, they're just like crying and wailing and you're just trying to get them out of the store. And, and how would you feel like, are, are, you, you know, are we a bad parent because of that moment, because of that situation? But again, high standards for others and for us, we're willing to adapt that, right? That other person's an addict, but we're, we've got it under control. We can handle it. You know, this is just a one-time thing for me, but for them, that obviously is an ind indication of their character, whatever, whatever that is. And Jesus just cautions us, don't be legalistic. Don't get into that habit. So what's that standard? The standard you, you use against others will be used, uh, you know, the standard will be used for, towards you. So we could make the argument very easy, well, let's just all lower our standards. <laughs> right? Lower our standards, actually let's lower them so much that we don't judge anybody because then we're not gonna be judged and we win. Everybody does what everybody wants. We go home and we live our own lives. That's not what Jesus is getting at. I think instead what he's saying is don't lower your standards, raise your GQ. You've heard of an IQ, right? Your intelligence quotient, your EQ, your emotional intelligence, emotional quotient. GQ, GQ is your grace quotient. Right? Don't, don't lower your standards. Keep your standards where, where Jesus has set them in the life that we're trying to live and what we're trying to pursue and righteousness and holiness and, 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 and to pursue that. But, but instead of lowering that, we need to raise our grace quotient. How grace-giving are we when we mess up, when someone else messes up, when we're not doing right? If God's the God of second chances, shouldn't we? Right? He's the one that's helping people. There's a difference between judging, like rendering judgment, right? Saying, this is it, this is, this is the final decision and giving people grace. I say it this way, grace means we don't drop the gavel on people. You know, we're very quick to drop the gavel on people. When you're in a courtroom and that gavel drops, decision has been made, right? After that point, what if you say, but, 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 but judge, but, 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 but judge. Is that gonna get you anywhere? The gavel has dropped. It's over. And when, with other, when we're dealing with other people and we drop the gavel, what we're doing is saying, we're, we're done, we've made our decision, we've rendered judgment against you. There's no grace there. But to recognize, ah, there's a work in progress. There's something going on. We, we can't just close the door and say, it's over. God gives us second chances. Can we give other people a second chance as well? We need to be gracious as we deal with other people. Don't lower our standards, but raise our GQ. The second way is this. Jesus calls us to deal with people is to be humble, to be humble. So let's read this next scripture with a little prop. <laughs> read it earlier, but just to help us out a little bit here. All right, Matthew 7, verses three through four. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? <laughs> How can you think of saying to your friend, let, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? And when you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. <laughs> hey, you, you got a little something in your, in your eye there? <laughs> can, I, can I give you a hand with that? Oh, you're, you're not quite living up to that standard. You're, you're not quite measuring up over there. Oh, oh. Right? And we walk around and Jesus gives us this humorous illustration of what it's like when we judge others, when we treat others in a way and we point out all the little faults and we're hypercritical and we see all those things. He's saying, wait a second, there's something going on there. You have got a log in your own eye. This is an indication that you lack self-awareness. 
Self-awareness, you're very other aware, but your self-awareness, now, now that could be very lacking. Listen, it's easier to see sin through the window than it is in the mirror, right? So much easier to see sin through the window than it is through the mirror. I see it everywhere else, I see it out there, but can I see it in my own life? Can I do an assessment in my life and see, is this who I am? Is, what's going on in my life before I'm dealing with the problems and the issues with everybody else? You see, David in the Old Testament was confronted by the prophet Nathan who told him a story. After David had sinned and done all kinds of things, the prophet Nathan tells him a story of, of a poor man who had only you know, a sheep and a rich man stole that man's sheep. And, and how quickly did David go, oh, that man should be condemned. And what David did was way worse and way stronger. He saw it through the window, but he couldn't see it in the mirror. And so how do we do that? What do we need to do? We have to, we have to be gracious. We have to be humble. Humble enough to say, I've got some things going on. I've got some challenges in, in my own life. How do I deal with that? What I find interesting is when we judge other people and the things that bother us from other people. Do you know what we're most hypersensitive to? Our own struggles. Our own struggles that are played out in other people are often the signs of what, what we're dealing with. And so we can jump on it from somebody else and maybe you know, you're, you're at work or you're in a situation there's somebody who seems to be controlling or manipulative or always jockeying for position. It just gets under your skin. Why are they always trying to, to, to jockey that position in that way? Other people may not even be concerned about that, but why is that eating, up, eating you up? Because maybe you're dealing with those same struggles. Your heart's sensitive to those things. Why are you always focused about money issues in, in your life and other people and what they should be doing? Maybe it's because you're struggling yourself. So oftentimes what we see in other people, the hangups and the challenges and the things that really get under our skin, they're often the things that we need to deal with. It's the log in our own eye that's causing us to even notice a speck. How many of us even notice a speck in someone else's eye and miss our own, right? We see things that, that we're particularly hypersensitive to. Carl Jung, the psychologist, said it this way, and I think it's very helpful, actually, and I think Jesus was already way ahead of Carl Jung, but here's how he said it. Everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. So the very things you might be prone to judge, the things that really get, get at you could be the very things that you might be having to deal with at a deeper level personally. Jesus said it in a, in a different way when he was dealing with a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And she was dragged out in front of the crowd and the law and the legalism of the law said stone her. But he demonstrated grace. And he demonstrated just a, a place of humility and taught about humility when he said the, the, the line, right? All right, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And what they do? They drop their stones. There's a humility, there's that, that's a recognition of I've got issues, I've got things that I'm working on. I'm struggling through some things so I have to work on that. Others can easily see our plank. That's the funny thing, right? <laughs> when somebody's pointing out the speck in your eye, you can easily see the plank in somebody else's eye. But when you see that plank, they can't hear anything but our hypocritical self-righteousness. If we haven't been dealing with some things in our own lives, and if we just kind of speak from this, this, this perch up here, right? You're, you're one to talk. It's kind of like in, in situations in life, we, we've all probably felt this way. Maybe you're saying to somebody like, you're giving me advice on marriage, but, you've been, but you're in your fifth marriage? <laughs> Who are you to give me advice on marriage? You're gonna tell me how to invest my money, but you're broke as a joke? 
right? I mean, you think about those, those incongruencies. Those are kinds of things where we have to say, wait a second, before we think we have this ability, this place to really speak into others, what is it that, that we're dealing with? And that is, requires grace. It means being humble. It's acknowledging, hey, I'm a work in progress. I've got things that I'm dealing with too. It changes our posture, it changes our tone when we also realize we're somebody who's working on some things. We're somebody who hasn't figured it all out yet. Now, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect, we have to have everything just right to speak to somebody else to be able to say anything. No, I don't think so. Because we can't be perfect. We can't be in this place where we have it all figured out and done, but we can acknowledge I'm a work in progress. And maybe I haven't figured it all out yet, but you know what? I can come to somebody to, to, who I respect in their parenting who has children in their 20s or their 30s because they've gone through the stage that I've already been in. I'm not gonna speak as an expert on how to raise college and post-college kids and how to interact with them because that's not an experience that I have. That's not where I'm at. So I'm gonna be humble in that and say, you know, I'll, I'll help as much as I can and, and tell you what I know as, as we've raised our kids, but we haven't, you know, have it all figured out. There's a humility there that comes when we acknowledge we're a work in progress and there's things in our lives we're working on. It's like somebody who, who, is, uh, who has overcome addiction, who's really worked through that and then being able to say to somebody else, you know what, I've removed that plank from my eye. I've, I've dealt with that big issue now. I still have my challenges, I still have to make sure that I'm staying true to God's word and staying out of those addictions, but I think I can, I can help you. If you're struggling, I'm able to help you. There's a humility there, there's a grace there, and I believe that's what Jesus is saying here as we recognize we've got issues. And he says, first, right, what? First get rid of the log in your own eye. What are you working on in your own life? How do you get rid of that log? It's a whole other sermon, but how do you talk to somebody? How do you maybe say to somebody, you know what? I've got a log in my eye, I could really use a hand. Could you help pull this thing out? You know, acknowledging it, talking about it, praying about it, the humility to ask for help and to let God, let someone else help you remove that plank from your eye. Be gracious, be humble. The third way is this, be wise. Be gracious, be humble, and be wise. And that brings us to that tricky verse and that may be confusing in Matthew 7, 6. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. I think Jesus is saying, be wise. The, what's the pearl? The pearl is the gospel. The pearl is the beauty of the truth. The pearl is, is what, what we understand as we follow in relationship with Jesus. And as we wanna share that with others, dun, 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 you got music going on. Um, if you're watching online, there's a little phone ringing. Anyway, um, I'm not just breaking into dance in the middle of you know, the sermon. The pearl is this beautiful gospel truth. And what Jesus is saying is, we might feel and understand and believe and know to the depths of our being that what we stand on is true, and what we stand on in God's word is, is the best way to live our lives and to live that out, but again, how we throw that out there into the public space, into a world that has not surrendered their lives to Christ, that does not build their lives and saying the Bible is my foundation for life. And if we continue to beat it down and beat it down, what we're doing is we're taking pearls and they're just gonna get trampled on by people who don't appreciate and don't understand and have the capacity to value yet what is the truth. Not because they don't have the capacity ever, but because of where they are in their walk with Christ or where they are in their faith. And so we have to have wisdom in, to knowing when do you share that, how do you share that? I mean, if you keep shoving it and ramming it down somebody's throat, I mean, it's like taking a pearl and shoving it down a pig's throat. It's, it, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna appreciate that. 
So it's, at what point do you back up? At what point do you say, you know what, I'm just gonna need sensitivity to know how much to share, when to share? At what point do I need to just maybe be quiet and just live out the gospel and share that? And, and God's gonna have to give you wisdom on that to know how to do that, to have that kind of discernment. Because the world and the people around us, as we are seeing increasingly, are very and can be very hostile to the truth of Scripture. And we're seeing more and more the collision of a culture moving away from the foundations of, of faith and some of those truths that we've held on to, that, we've, that, 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 that are clear as day in Scripture. And the world is saying, boom, boom, boom. When do we stand, how do we stand up to it? How do we deal with that? Let's be wise. If we're just gonna blast back and be loud and be obnoxious and get stronger and rise up, has anyone ever been convinced in that way? No, but if we are gracious, if we come in humility and we have wisdom, I think that can really change the conversation. So how do we, again, deal with this? How do we deal with the differences? When people don't approve, when they make lifestyle choices that don't align with ours and God's word, I think, again, be gracious, be humble, be wise. But scripture does talk about there's a difference between how we engage with unbelievers, with the world around us, and how do we deal with one another in the church? Like, so as we think about unbelievers, again, or we think about the world at large, are we known more for what we are against than for what we are for? Because I think that's a big piece in this judgment, I think, because the against is I'm judging you versus saying, this is what I'm for and I stand behind that. Now again, some people may not make that distinction, but we can in the way that we approach that. And I think in this world too, there's a, there's a lot of confusion, and I think even for Christians, we can love unconditionally without approving unconditionally. Unconditional love is different than unconditional approval. Is that easy? No, that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to fully love somebody and still really struggle with choices or decisions or stances or, or what it is. I mean, how many of us in our families have challenges in political conversations and, and in lifestyle choices and whatnot where we say, here's what I hold on to, and yet can I love unconditionally without saying that I approve everything? Rick Warren, you've probably seen this online, or if not, I think he just nails it on this. I wanna share this with us this morning. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. One, first, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is, to love something means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And I think if we can have this compassionate, gracious, humble, wise way in which we interact with the culture and the world around us, I think there could be a lot more productive conversation, a lot more winning people over, or at least drawing them over to the love of Christ and, and, and in the way that we live. And so I think we hear that here and, and, and we can be, again, we don't have to compromise conviction to be compassionate. So then let's turn, okay, well that's, that's interacting with the world out there. What about with in, in the church? How do we deal with those of us who've made commitments to have said, this is, we wanna follow God's word, we wanna be held true to this. How do we deal with somebody who's really living apart from that? And I'm gonna tell you, church discipline, <laughs> that sounds awful, doesn't it, when you hear that, church discipline, but that's a part of how we encourage one another, how we grow one another and say, this is not the way God intended We've made a commitment in faith. How do we live that out? Here's what, here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 to 13. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is, and he's talking to church, your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Welcome to church. <laughs> Woo. 
God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Now, that's a whole other sermon that we can get into and into further details here, but, but what, what Jesus is saying is, and, and what Paul is saying here is, we have a foundation, and there's a part here, not again to go around judging and, and pointing fingers, you this, you, it's about how do we hold to what God's word says? How do we encourage one another? towards love and towards good deeds? How do we help each other to grow through uh, the sin and through the challenges, to walk alongside one another, to not just say, that's, that's great, just keep living that way, keep holding those views, keep doing those things. It's gonna compromise our witness as a church and it's gonna compromise our growth as individual believers and as a community. And so again, it's not, I would apply all these same principles. Again, judging isn't just you know, dropping the gavel on everybody. It's still the same thing, approaching it with grace and with humility and approaching with wisdom. And I think a phrase too is just that, that we read in Ephesians four verse five is just to speak the truth in love. And it's, you know, sometimes we just err on the side, we just wanna speak the truth and just, just, just ram it down and we don't have the love or it's all, we, we mistake as love and, and everything's okay and everything goes. It's finding that wisdom to know how to balance speaking truth and love with the right attitude that we hold. And ultimately a few verses later in, in chapter seven we come to the golden rule. <laughs> The golden rule, as we read in scripture in Matthew 7, 12, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and prophets. How do you want others to treat you? How do you wanna be judged? How do you want that to play out in your life? How do you live that out towards others? We want grace, don't we? All of us want grace. We want forgiveness. We want mercy. We want encouragement. We want somebody to be patient with us. We want someone to be loving and kind in the way they deal with our faults and our hangups and our sins and our challenges. So let's do that to others. Let's live that out in a way that we can support other people in the way that we would like to be treated. It's not easy. It's not easy. And Jesus modeled for us over and over again just, you know, while we were still sinners, Scripture says, Christ died for us. I mean, that's the, that's the, the sacrifice that says, you know, I'm, I'm on this journey with you. Maybe you, you're here today and you feel judged. Sometimes the, the criticisms in the church, I, I don't wanna come to church because people will judge me. Let's not be that kind of church. Let's be the kind of people that, again, in grace, as Meadow Park has modeled over so many years, to love and to welcome and to have open arms and to say, you're welcome here. You're welcome with your sins and your faults and your challenges, but we love you too much to leave you in that place. We love you too much to go through life not finding what the freedom is to live forgiven. We love you too much to not understand that God is gracious and that, that, that if you mess up, he's there again for you to restore you, to love you. We love you too much to, to render judgment because we're humble. We're in a, in, in a place that says we're struggling ourselves. We have our own things that we're working on. Maybe we're not dealing with things we did some time ago, but, but we continue to see the things that God is revealing in us that we need to work on. So let's go on this journey together. Let's follow Christ in this way. Let us be that kind of church and that kind of people. And today, again, if you feel judged, whether by someone else or by God, come in this place knowing that you are loved and that Christ forgives. And Christ says, come on, let's go a new way. Let those without sin throw the first stone. We're on a journey together. Let's take these words from Jesus. Let's be gracious. Let's be humble and let's be wise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And uh, the way that you continue to challenge us to, to, as we go through life, as we understand your kingdom, God, thank you for this church that has for so many years 
open the doors wide for people from all walks of life and different seasons of life and through different challenges. God, may we be and continue to be the community, God, that is gracious and loving and kind and yet seeks your truth and seeks your word. Father, may anyone here today, may all of us here today experience the freedom and the hope that is found only in you. Give us wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.